Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks so much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. Today we are tackling, to whatever degree we can, uh, cryptocurrency here in New York and New York City, especially digging into what is cryptocurrency and what is happening politically and in the regulation space and the environmental concerns and so forth around cryptocurrency in New York State and New York City, and more broadly around this burgeoning and developing and high profile industry. So we're digging in, in just a minute, my conversation uh, with two guests who are experts in and participants in the field. Lule Demise is the CEO of eToro in the United States. And Eric Sufer is the head of crypto and fintech practice at Tusk Strategies, my conversation with them in just a second. If you've missed any recent episodes of the show, you can find them all at Max Politics, wherever you get your podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette website. We have them all there. Uh, recent guests have been talking with different uh, elected officials, appointed officials and others dealing with New York City and state politics, as always. But of course, here early in 2022, we've been bouncing back and forth because there's so much happening at the state level, happening in Albany, in state government, uh, this first full year of Governor Kathy Hochul's administration. It could be the only full year if she doesn't win the election this year, of course, but she's been laying out her agenda. The state legislature's back in session, so we've been dealing with issues at the state level. And then also we have a new mayor in the city and a new city council class and so many other new officials in the city. So of course, uh, dealing with a lot of issues in New York City as well. Recent guests on the show have been talking with a variety of new city council members, especially those who chair interesting and important committees. So on a recent episode of the show, I spoke with city council member Sandy Nurse, who's chairing the sanitation committee about some important issues related to trash and waste and recycling and some really uh, important and interesting issues there. And I gathered recently three new city council members who are the chairs of the health hospitals and mental health committees in the council. Of course, uh, many overlapping and important issues there. Those are council members Lynn Shulman, Mercedes Narcisse, and Linda Lee. At the state level, I've spoken recently with state senators Liz Kruger and Jessica Ramos. Uh, other episodes of the show, we've been dealing with housing policy, clean energy policy, uh, the crisis of untreated severe mental illness, uh, and much more. So find any or all episodes you may be interested in at Max Politics, wherever you find your podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette website. Uh, also, just going back to late last year, I had a really interesting conversation with Representative Jamal Bowman, uh, the teachers union president in the city, Michael Mogru, and many others. So check those out. All right. So let's talk here about cryptocurrency. Uh, again, my guest today, very pleased to be joined by Lule Demese, the CEO of eToro in the United States, and Eric Sufer, the head of crypto and fintech practice at Tusk Strategies. And I'll say eToro is a client of Tusk and Eric. So that's that's part of the reason uh, I have Lule and Eric together here. Uh, but they're speaking, uh, they, well, they'll say who they're speaking for when, when uh, they're, they're having an open conversation here with me today about uh, financial technology, about cryptocurrency, about um, why this is important to understand and what's happening in New York. So thank you both for being here. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Ben. Thanks. So, um, I, you know, our listeners uh, are people interested in New York politics and policy. Uh, 
we have experts in all sorts of different fields, but of course we have a lot of people with general interest. So let's start at the most basic. Um, when we talk about cryptocurrency, uh, Lule, what are we what are we talking about? Well, I think so. The general sort of definitional understanding of cryptocurrency is that it's essentially a digital payment or store of asset. What does that mean? It's essentially the money of the internet, if you will, to think of it in late layperson's terms. So, you know, money can be um, used in different ways, right? So there is a mechanism for it to be just a store of asset, meaning, you know, I hold crypto and then it goes up and down and I'm just using it as a means of storing my assets, right? Money can be used as a means of exchange where, you know, I buy something from you using that particular currency. Um, it could be a, a several, four or five different ways of having utility, if you will. Um, for a lot of people, when they're thinking crypto, it's those two main ones, really one where, you know, if, you, if you've had any kind of a Thanksgiving dinner with any of your relatives, it's like, have you bought crypto lately, right? It's that question of like uh, partaking in it as a, as a means of asset holding, um, which is very common for people. People don't necessarily understand how it works, but that's part of the, the Thanksgiving dinner conversation. Over time, you know, digital currencies like cryptocurrencies will start being useful for myriad of other uh, uses in which essentially these currencies make the internet of things a reality, right? If you recall, the internet of things were supposed to be something when the dot-com revolution started, but what these currencies are doing is really sort of supercharging that revolution. And eToro, your firm, we don't wanna focus too much on your business, but what is it, what does it do? Uh, you are, are relatively new as the CEO of the US uh, branch of eToro, um, but what is eToro? Yeah, so I joined a few months ago. It's an exciting uh, firm. So eToro does a few things. Thank you. Um, so uh, eToro at its heart is a social trading platform, investing and trading platform. So a lay person, an individual with as little as zero dollars can open an account and um, and cope, can open a, use, a user ID and start tracking and training themselves how to invest in instruments like cryptocurrencies or stocks, which we just launched, or ETFs. So it's a platform where an individual user can come in and either learn about or transact in these types of instruments. Um, and ultimately, it's a social trading platform. So we really sort of unleash the idea of having this community of individuals that are learning from one another. Uh, globally, we have about 25 million registered users. So ultimately, it's a it's a place where we think the, the rise of the retail investor is well suited for. Mm -hmm. Interesting. All right, Eric, what are you doing in this space? You, uh, as I said, in introducing you, you're the head of the crypto and financial technology uh, practice at Tusk Strategies. Uh, listeners of the show will know Tusk as a, you know, a New York uh, consultancy with, with various different arms, started by Bradley Tusk, of course. Um, Tusk Strategies, most recently, at least for, for regular readers of Gotham Gazette and listeners of this podcast, of course, was a, a key advisor for Andrew Yang's campaign for mayor. Uh, a few months back, I had Chris Coffey on the show. Uh, if folks are interested in going back to listen to Chris's uh, discussion of the of the Yang campaign, kind of a postmortem there. Chris was a co-campaign manager on that campaign and is co-CEO at Tusk Strategies now. But um, Eric, what are you what are you doing in this space? And uh, and you also deserve some congratulations on a on a new title, this new title. So that's part of the reason I asked you both here. Uh, you know, you've you've both been making moves in this space. Uh, so what are you, what are you doing in in this world? 
Uh, well, thank you, Ben. And I just want to say I'm very relieved to be on your show today to be talking about something other than Andrew Yang. <laughs> yes. And I think I, <laughs> Chris I, took that one for you. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you to, to, to Chris uh, when, you, yeah. when you listen. Um, yeah, so really, uh, Ben, yeah, it's, it's a really great, great moment, I think, uh, to have um, this, this segment uh, because there's really just a moment of unprecedented uh, enthusiasm, uh, investment, and excitement in, in crypto um, and its, its potential uh, for New Yorkers, for people across the globe. Um, and right now, what we're seeing is there's a lot of uncertainty, certainly in, in the regulatory landscape around, around crypto. Uh, New York has been a leader uh, when it comes to um, developing a re regulatory framework uh, for the industry. Um, and now we have a, a mayor who's um, really become sort of a, um, a, a champion, some would say an evangelist of, of crypto. And so um, with so much with the pace of innovation being so rapid in the space um, and so many new new players entering uh, the market it's just a natural time to make sure that everyone is engaging um, with the advocacy community with with lawmakers with with policymakers to make sure uh, that folks are, are just talking to each other and so we can create a framework that both protects investors and cultivates this industry which really has um, a, a ton of upside for for uh, for taxpayers and for uh, workers here mm -hmm. And so you advise clients like eToro on on navigating, you know, the New York uh, regulatory, public affairs, and so forth, and trying to, as you just got at, sort of um, influence and keep up with uh, the political dynamics, the regulatory dynamics, and those are obviously often interrelated. Um, so before we before we get into any of those you know real specifics in terms of what's happening in New York let's just talk a little bit about more about why this is um, important or what what problems cryptocurrency is solving or trying to solve from your perspective Lule what 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 are the what are the problems being solved here what what is cryptocurrency sort of the the answer to, or what is it allowing uh, people to do that they haven't been able to do in the in the past? Yeah, you know it's fascinating. So I um, I myself jumped from traditional financial services into this crypto crazy world of crypto, um, precisely because I now am an evangelized person as to what it's solving, and the reason why I'm an evangelist is that it's not only solving one thing, right? So think about what I just said. The internet of things was not a thing until this, this digitization of assets really becomes prolific, right? So that means it could be solving a simple thing like a store of assets, meaning I'm investing in it for appreciation or for holding or long-term. It could be solving an exchange, a means of exchange between you and me, right? In a way that's much more efficient and on efficient rails than traditional currency can be. It could be solving the, the immigrant from Manila who doesn't trust or doesn't want to pay the high prices of transferring dollars from their uh, bank account into their relative who's in Manila to send their remittances. And that's a much safer, more efficient means of doing it. It could be solving the business person in Queens who wants to be able to be again on a more efficient rails for being able to exchange currency between uh, provider of service that they have versus them. So the thing about it is it's actually quite infinite, which is why I think it seems both scary and unbounded by imagination. Uh, but I think like every transition when new technology shows up, 
it is both scary and incredibly exciting. And I think what's really important about crypto is to not let our fears dominate the potential of that uh, outcome that it could have in, in advancing both um, commerce and individual uh, problems that it can solve. Uh, so, you know, just to be clear for folks, and, and this got some press when Mayor Eric Adams converted his first paycheck into cryptocurrency, he converted into, I believe, some Bitcoin and some Ethereum, which are two of the most popular forms, but those are forms of cryptocurrency brands. Is that is that an okay term to use uh, to describe Essentially, them? They're, 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 they're specific technologies of cryptocurrency, right? So- and and there's and there's a number of others, um, but when when you talk about e- the ease uh, or opening up opportunities for transactions or for simplifying things in different ways, um, sometimes when we talk about cryptocurrency, some people compare uh, the use of it to Venmo. We have Omni coming in the you know the city subways and buses. What's different about what you were just talking about there in terms of uh, the ease of transactions for some people, you know, there's, there's the investment piece, which you mentioned, and that's obviously a, a yep. major, major piece of it and a major yep. focus, but then there's the sort of uh, currency, <laughs> the transaction. Yeah. Um, how, how is it different than those couple of examples and why is it useful to the uh, small business owner in Queens that you, you know, reference. Yeah. So think of it this way. What has happened in the last few years is what I call the magic of software, which is what Venno is, which is what PayPal is, right? So they're using the magic of software on your phone or other devices to make you feel like it's actually easier to do the business, right? But what you have to remember is that magic of software is on old rails, I mean, the rails that were created to either transfer currency or payment, et cetera, are decades and decades old. And so what what the internet, this digital asset will do is essentially take it from a lipstick on a pig to an actual authentic transformation of our back end all the way to front end capabilities. But that's just one piece of it, which is why you're seeing so much interest of it as an asset to hold, because there are people who understand that these are infinite use cases where a currency could be programmatically embedded in different parts of my user experience, right? So what happens then is that you are not limited by the highways that were created yesteryear, but but this really fungible means of using payment structures that software will go berserk over in the most finite and interesting ways that right now Venmo is one use case, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that it's, it's almost like it's hard for the brain to imagine this, right? But I think what you're seeing with a lot of people who've gone really sort of engaged with this currency as an investment vehicle is they're seeing that possibility, which is why you're seeing so much engagement in the buying of this currency as well. Mm-hmm. And when I'm using Venmo, I'm I'm basically allowing Venmo to communicate with my bank. Exactly. Uh, and, and as you said, sort of navigate this... Um, the different avenues that that need to be navigated and in, in t- to move money around easily, and this is creating a, a, a different system for that that tries to cut out the middle uh, person. Is that a <laughs> the middle person? But it's also a mechanism where you're trusting the the blockchain, right? So there's also the element of how how structurally safe that becomes, right? Because you're not having 
interplay of inter middle people you know, touch that transaction ability. It also makes it possible that that currency is so much more easily trackable when it comes to where it came from. And it has a history, if you will, to it. In its DNA, it has the history of where it's gone and where it's going to be. So there's also infinite possibility of how we are able to have more transparency about what happens around currencies. And this is why I think that for whether it's you are a, an operations person, right? Whether you are a person who's dealing with uh, the money movement as a, as, a, as a banker on the back end, or whether you are a user experiencing the magic of software and what it'll be, this is a powerful technology that'll take us to places we've not imagined yet. Um, and like everything that's new, it has its side that's also scary that we need to figure out how to regulate around. Yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit. Um... Eric, when when we talk about um, some of the unknowns here, some of the risks, these are things I'm sure that you're studying regularly, that you're thinking about all the time, that you're advising clients on. Um, so there's obviously, again, the the sort of basic risk of you invest your money in cryptocurrency and that investment can grow or uh, can can recede, can lose uh, in value. Um, what are the other sort of risks or unknowns here as this is still a relatively new uh, currency, a new industry, uh, new practices? What are some of the things that, you know, are at the sort of uh, top of mind for you as you're talking with clients and you're trying to figure out, you know, where things are headed and what's going on? Yeah. So I think, Ben, something that's so different about um, working with clients in this in this space and on this issue and so many other areas is that there's a huge public education component, uh, which is uh, the one of the biggest reasons that, that we're, we're here today, um, because there's a, a lot of interest in crypto, but there's not a lot of understanding yet. And it's, you know, these concepts can be, you know, tricky to grasp, particularly when you've got, you know, just a, a, a few minutes a day uh, to, to consume your news, you know, much less understand sort of the next the next iteration of the internet, you know, <laughs> whatever that, that uh, means to, to most people. Um, so really kind of step, step one, um, uh, with what we're doing, and I think some some others are doing, uh, is, is really trying to um, come out here and get get the message out. Um, once one thing we we do spend a lot of time uh, talking about is the enormous economic impact potential that um, crypto has as a space um, for New York. Um, there was a, a recent report put out by the Partnership of New York City that said that one in four uh, major Wall Street firms plan to take jobs from New York and uh, put them elsewhere over the next few years. Um, there was a study from the um, Center for Urban Policy um, that said that you know, New York should not, count, should not count on Wall Street as a job creator for the next decade, and instead should count on tech. Um, well, when you take those two things and you look at the unprecedented investment in crypto and the development of uh, Web3 and blockchain technologies, um, you have an opportunity to really revitalize the financial services sector in, in New York and unlock a lot, of, a lot of potential that's there. You know, New York has a lot of built-in advantages. You know, we have the talent pool, we have the culture, we have the arts, we have an amazing restaurant and, and nightlife scene. People obviously want to be here. And we've seen that, you know, as the pandemic has receded, people who've left 
left are moving back. People who've never lived here still want to live here just as much. Um, and so that's a, that's a huge um, magnet um, when it comes to uh, job creators in the space. And so we just have to make sure that we, we harness that and that um, we create some type of, you know, baseline kind of cultivation and, and you know, incentives even uh, to make sure that, that the industry can take off here because it's so fast moving and by its, its very nature, it's a decentralized um, network and culture. So, you know, the pull to be based here is not as great as it was for, you know, JP Morgan or, or Goldman Sachs to be based here 100 years ago. It's, it's different. We have companies that are based overseas that have no, no home base. We just want to make sure we're seizing the opportunities so we can, you know, leverage our built-in advantages uh, to build, you know, a, a stronger and more durable economy over the next several decades. Convince, convince me, convince, you know, listeners, convince New Yorkers and anyone else who, who winds up listening to this, that, that this is, is here to stay, um, that cryptocurrency will not be, regulated out of existence uh is is cryptocurrency you know potentially seen as such a threat to to us uh currency to the dollar that um you know this is this is a huge risk to to ramp this industry up to such a degree um uh you know is is there a a risk to all the sort of quote unquote regular investors that the you know the big players on the field are going to you know sort of uh dump their holdings on them and get out for a massive profit um how do we know you know that that this is here here to stay that cryptocurrency is is solid and is going to be okay and is a is a good industry to not only invest in but also to bank on those jobs in in New York City that Mayor Adams knows what he's doing when he's saying I want New York City to be the crypto capital. Yeah. So I think so the first thing I'll tell you is I think that's the mistake a lot of people have been doing is giving people false comfort. Um, I don't believe in false comfort. This is a changing intrepid world. And I think for any city to stay relevant, it has to intrepidly go into the future. So crypto in you know in general um and any some of the main currencies and in, in, in specifically um whether they happen here or not they will happen <laughs> there's some countries that have already adopted them as a means of not just exchanges but as their currency they will happen because if decentralization has happened in every segment of our economy what makes us think currency is going to be spared that like it's just not possible. The winds of decentralization are strong. That doesn't mean that it's a chaotic world where there isn't also fiat currencies that exist right beside it. In fact, I actually think that it will be good for fiat currencies because again, a digitized rails just means efficient currency in general, right? Um, as I said, we're on the on the you know on the sort of the old train system. So anything that digitizes is going to be really good in in terms of what currencies benefit from it. But ultimately, a decentralized currency is a very different structure than a centralized currency. And I do think it's a question of and and not an or, at, the, at least in the immediate uh, part of the history. So to me, the question is actually whether or not New York adopts it and we convince them. The question is, are you going to be part of the future or not? Because if you're not, that future will go somewhere else. And so to me, rather than give false comfort, I offer education. 
-hmm. I offer transparency of understanding, seek to understand what this technology can do. Um, and you know, it doesn't mean you should be putting your life savings in it, but it is definitely a place to learn and see how you can take part in it. And I, and you know, think about what happened during the dot-com environment, sort of environment, right? When all the cynics were saying, oh, this thing is a bubble that's gonna burst. Yeah, it burst in the short term. But tell me now if the dot-com revolution is not one that is part of our bloodstreams, right? So new technology will win no matter which way you cut it, especially in an increasingly globalized world. So my whole message for New Yorkers is I want to be a part of that future, not away from it. And I want to come to you on this, Eric, but, but just quickly on that comparison and that long-term view, how do we ensure there isn't uh, the bumpiness of of that comparison repeated here, or what are the um, the lessons or the guideposts that need to be there, or the advice for people in terms of smarter investment or or you know better awareness of the pitfalls? Uh, well, I think I think Ben, um, that you know, there's certainly going to be some bumps along along the way and we've we've seen that once or twice already um, with crypto um, but I think going back to your initial question of what is the longevity of this asset class um, in the clearest example to me is that the United States Federal Reserve you know one of the most conservative longest standing you know bastions of stability and 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 centralized government control of our currency um, has come very close to issuing uh, its own stable coin which is a form of cryptocurrency. Um, they just decided to kind of, you know, tap tap the brakes on it when some other uh, policy stakeholders weighed in and said, we want to come up with a really comprehensive um, federal framework first. Um, but those conversations are, are, are very advanced at the federal level. Um, at the state level, you know, like I've said, New York's been a leader and been in the space since 2015 uh, when they created the, the bit license process, uh, which was basically a licensing process for, for firms that, um, that engage in, in crypto transactions. Um, so I, I think when you when you look at how our policymakers reacted to this, they're following policies that they think that they hope will will um, endure the test of time, um, and are trying to look look forward. Now it's you know it's government sometimes is not is not, is not always created in ways to keep up with the pace of innovation. But I think you know something you've seen as as the industry has matured is a willingness to be patient and and to work with government um, because there is so much long term potential here, and uh, you know they can really have a a a symbiotic relationship. Mm -hmm. And if I may add to that, Please. just to give you a sense of scale. So just in 2021, crypto ownership worldwide um, is about 4 trillion, right? And that's already gotten higher. Over 300 million people either transact or hold this asset. It's abound in Asia, Latin America, Africa, where there is actually an answer, the utility, if you will, from a decentralized currency perspective. Uh, so I think that, you know, the, the idea of thinking this is a stoppable thing, we're past that. Will it be bumpy? Yeah, that's why I'm saying to you, I don't sell false promises. Mm -hmm. But definitely is, we're past the breaks of thinking that this is not going to be the future. The question becomes who is part of that future and who drives it, benefits from it. Uh, we're in our last few minutes here with Lule Demese, the CEO of eToro in the United States, and Eric Sufer, the head of the crypto and fintech practice at Tusk Strategies. Thank you both for being here. Uh, we might uh, say goodbye to you in a couple of minutes, Lule, and I, I might keep Eric for a few extra minutes uh, to talk about some New York, you know, regulatory discussions going on. But, um, but so, so let's let's 
keep going though on this theme of of Mayor Adams wanting New York to be uh, crypto capital and to really uh, you know be welcoming um, to this this industry. What does that look like, Lule? When we talk about the mayor of the city, uh, he can't do a lot in terms of regulations. That's more happening at the state and federal levels. Um, he's much more about being. Uh, an ambassador for the city and and just promoting, welcoming, educating. What what's the, I don't know. What's the best case scenario from your viewpoint in terms of how Mayor Adams and uh, cryptocurrency, you know, sort of interact and and lead the city forward? Yeah, I was delighted to see that he. You know, there is really a place in, in any transformation, a place for symbolism. It matters because as when you have the bully pulpit how you signal things is just as important as any policy that you can drive. So I was very delighted to see this. And I think what Mayor Adams sees beyond the jobs that it could bring to New York is when you unpack crypto, what's so fascinating to me about this asset class is the users of it, the people who are actually buying it, is the most diverse in the history of America when it comes to asset class ownership. It's pretty, fun. it's almost like the, our policymakers have to catch up to what the people are already consuming, right? Um, so when you're looking at it from an LGBTQ perspective, I mean, it's it's massive compared to the regular and uh, sort of individual, general individual in the US. When you're looking at it from black people, when you're looking at it from all sorts of angles, the only part that I feel that we have more room to do is women. Women are not partaking as much as uh, people of color are, for example. But ultimately, what's another angle that's so exciting about this aspect class not only being a future is how diverse it is and that is something we all know is the most important thing in any kind of generational or intergenerational wealth production as you know requires the ownership habit right um and so the fact that this could be an ingredient of that ownership habit which i personally think that's one of the reasons he's saying it the representation of me myself an african-american woman mayor adams talking about this is another mechanism of i think of the ownership of capital and whatever it means is one of the ways that I think we close gaps. And I think that that's another thing that's so exciting about him doing it. Mm. Um, and, and Lule, final question for you. Um, when you look at the um, discussions happening in New York, uh, as you both, I think, have said, um, you know, New York was, was sort of got out early in terms of, of regulation, uh, the Department of Financial Services sort of took a lead on this uh, several years ago. Um, but there's there's other discussions happening at the state level, including around, um, and, and I don't want to get into all the details of this, we just don't have time, and it's so complicated, but around uh, bit, uh, mining, cryptocurrency mining. Um, when you look at the the way that government needs to interact with your your industry here, what are you um, trying to make sure that is is either understood? What would be um, what would be really problematic from your view, viewpoint that you hear you know government officials or advocates talking about that that worries you about sort of stifling this thing you're trying to grow? Um, yeah. What are you thinking about there? I mean, I think it's, it's several things. So one is you know, good regulation that creates clarity and, you know, flattens the field is a good thing, right? Because one of the ways innovation happens is new entrants having the sort of wind behind them to be able to, to thrive in our great state and city. So I think just, you know, the clarity and the, um, and sort of the, 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 
leveling the playing food kind of uh, regulations is from our perspective, we're here for it and we're happy to do it to make sure that the regular individual is protected as well. I'd say the thing that worries me the most is when fear is the first entry, like starting point of the conversation. I think that that can have a chilling effect on people's already something that feels a little new to people and needs to be understood more clearly. You clamp them down with fear and all the dark side of it. And what happens is what could have been a real opportunity for our city, you've now closed minds in terms of how that works. So that would be the, the chilling effect of fear speak is really the one that worries me. But I think good regulation is always good for everyone. On, on fear speak, you know, what's, what's, what, what, what is the product of that, that you hear? I mean, what are the things that, that you hear that seem driven more by fear than practical concerns? It's like everything else that's new, right? It's about um, looking at what everything that could go wrong and only framing it through that way and not about what could also go right. So I think intelligent regulation makes sure that you don't have a situation where you're shutting off possibilities, but you're mitigating the things that you know are of concern, right? If, if it's balanced in that way, I think fear speak is, is abated. But if it's looked at through just the first thing somebody talks about, it's just the dark side of the moon, I think that that becomes, again, you're telling your constituents to fear this rather than to learn about it. Mm -hmm. All right, we're gonna uh, say say goodbye to Lule Demese, the CEO in the United States of eToro. Uh, thank you for the time. We're gonna chat a little more with Eric Sufer of Tusk Strategies here, but uh, Lule, thanks for for hopping on and talking for a little bit. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Bye bye. Bye. So, Eric, just a couple couple more things, um, if if you don't mind, on on sort of sure. how you're navigating um, the discussions happening in New York. Um, there is a lot of talk about um, the the ways in which um, crypto transactions are are validated, and this question of crypto mining. And there's a bill in the New York State Legislature for a three year moratorium on uh, on mining, which uses uh, a lot of computer energy and therefore a lot of electricity or or uh, various forms of energy to be done. Mayor Adams um, said in front of the state legislature, I support cryptocurrency. I don't support crypto mining. People who are not that familiar kind of jumped on that to say you can't really get one with the other, but there are uh, burgeoning methods to, to do um, confirmations of crypto transactions that are not as energy intensive, although you know this is there's a lot of questions here. Um, can you lay out a little bit of where that, you know, discussion is at and where you, where you hope it goes as someone who's obviously, um, you know, very invested here in seeing cryptocurrency grow in New York? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I don't work on behalf of any crypto mining companies. This is not a, an area of work that uh, we decided to, to take on. Um, but I do think, you know, the, some of the underlying issues are important because of what it could mean to, uh, to the industry. So I think first, you know, you, you touched upon something. Um, there's a, a bit of a misunderstanding on, on part of crypto mining, um, which is that um, crypto, or at least a lot of it, um, does not is not dependent on energy intensive mining. Um, there are these things called protocols um, where uh, different cryptocurrencies are created 
and live. Um, one of the original or the original protocol, uh, which is where Bitcoin, sort of the, the name brand of, of, of crypto um, originated and currently lives is on this proof of work protocol, um, which requires intense um, mining, which, which, which demands, you know, really large amounts of energy on a, on a really uh, ongoing basis um, in order to function properly. Um, on the other side, uh, you have something called a proof of stake protocol, which does not require energy. It's just basically regular computer use. Um, and that's becoming more and more popular among the new cryptocurrencies and, and uh, blockchain providers. And um, even the second most popular currency, something that uh, Mayor Adams said he was going to invest his paycheck in, um, Ethereum, that is moved, they, they announced that they're moving to a proof of stake protocol, uh, which means they will not require um, huge amounts of energy. Um, you know, I, I do think it's a, it's a complicated issue. You definitely, you know, have to understand and, and appreciate the, the concerns of um, environmental activists, and I think of just ordinary New Yorkers, you know, all of us, at least most of us um, would agree that climate change is, is, the, is the greatest challenge of our time, and we have to make sure we're doing everything we can uh, to avert, um, you know, the most severe catastrophe possible. Um, and if that means reining in certain uh, certain activities or finding ways to make them more environmentally sustainable, then we have to work together to, to do that. Um, there is uh, one final question, though, that I think um, we have to make sure we, we think through as, as we regulate um, the mining aspect in particular, um, which is that mining and is... Just to be clear, this is digital mining. This is not, you know, this is not uh, uh, the traditional <laughs> right. mining of going into the ground for anything, although obviously if you're using up lots of energy, you need to get it from somewhere. And there's questions around whether, um, you know, that is... is too reliant on fossil fuels or whether it can use renewable energy, which it's been moving towards. But then there's questions, of course, around, well, that renewable energy is needed needed to support other things like, you know, regular uh, household and, and uh, you know, office uh, energy and so forth. But anyway, you were, you were saying, sorry. Yeah, no, but I think the it's mining, a really, no, digital I, mining. thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. yeah. And, and it is, it, it is, it is really important um, to, to understand that. So there are, mm -hmm. you know, these, um, uh, areas or energy generators um, that um, uh, produce an enormous amount of energy during, you know, flood season or during, you know, high water season. Um, and um, there are not a lot of, you know, they're often in very small communities, communities that, that, that don't need that amount of supply. And so I think there's a relatively uncontroversial use case um, where um, a, a crypto, you know, digital mining operation um, can make good use of that hydropower that's otherwise go going to go to waste. Um, but there's another consideration, um, which is very understandable, which is that um, miners that are not using that kind of hydropower or not using a sustainable source of energy, um, where do they go? Well, many of them are moving to Texas because Texas, you know, the fossil fuel capital of the United States, one of the capitals in the world, is always more than happy um, to welcome anyone who is a huge consumer of, of fossil fuels. Um, and so what we've seen is that as some states, in, including New York, um, I think have been a little unclear about how they intend to regulate mining in, uh, within the state's borders, um, we've seen companies consider and some have moved down to, to Texas where they'll burn fossil fuels to, to do their mining. Now, 
you know, to a certain extent, you can only negotiate with good actors, people who want to, you know, both do their business, but also make sure that they're contributing uh, to a sustainable future of the state and to the world. Um, but I think, you know, uh, we talked a little bit about signals to send, to send to the industry. One of the signals is that you're thinking about um, the the industry in a comprehensive and, and nuanced way. And I think to date, some of that nuance has been has been lost. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm still optimistic that that will get there. And, uh, you know, New York's going to find a way to leverage all of its assets and all of its talent and all of its intellectual um, capacity to, to make sure that we go about this in a really smart way. Uh, just last last couple of quick things, Eric. Um, the when when to go back to this question of making New York City, uh, you know, a crypto center, crypto capital, uh, Mayor Eric Adams is, um, you know, support. Um, can you say a little bit more about sort of, um, you know, anytime we talk about any industry, there's there's a variety of different types of businesses. There's there's different types of jobs. You know, there was this very interesting conversation. Uh, I'll call it interesting uh, around you know the Amazon HQ uh, deal to come to New York and what that really meant in terms of the types of jobs. And then you have the offshoot businesses and so forth. How how do you capture for people what the growth? of the cryptocurrency industry in New York has already meant and what it could be? Sure. Um, so we've, you know, for a long time, the cryptocurrency was in its its infancy. Um, you know, five of the last seven years, I would definitely call the infancy period. And only really the past 18 months um, would I say that it's it's been supercharged. During that time, I've had multiple um, clients or, or companies that uh, I've worked with or sat on panels with um, who've doubled, tripled, or quadrupled their, their workforce in New York City. And so and then we now have multiple um, crypto companies that operate um, exchanges or issue stable coins um, who uh, employ, you know, two to 300 to 400 uh, New Yorkers um, right here in Manhattan. There's a, a huge startup scene happening out in Brooklyn um, and, in, and in Queens um, where people are, I mean, just amazing technology happening around decentralized finance. Um, so it's it, it's really similar to, you know, I think the growth of, um, you know, New York's te tech sector about 10 years ago when we saw um, Tech NYC and Civic Hall um, and these groups uh, prop up that were there to support the industry and support entrepreneurs and creators. Um, we have the same opportunity here in New York, um, where you know we've seen tech become huge. We're probably the the second biggest uh, tech hub outside of Silicon Valley, um, and doesn't mean we love everything that big tech does, but you know. They have all the, those technologies have led to a lot of smaller companies that employ a lot of people who pay a lot of taxes and support a lot of essential uh, social services. So I think we want to make sure that we're continue to be on the vanguard so that we can create, you know, a more we can both learn the lessons from the past um, and that we can also, you know, leverage them to create a bigger industry here. Um, and so, whereas once it was kind of web 2.0, which is one that's dominated by Google and Facebook, we can create one that's a lot less centralized um, and one that creates um, entrepreneurial opportunities for, for New Yorkers who are, you know, coming here to, to build their dream. Um, when we talk about the, um, you know, the potential major sort of initiatives that could come out of this. There, so there's obviously the investment side, but beyond that, um, 
is the main thing we're talking about here, the potential for um, sort of decentralized, democratized uh, financial transactions is really, is really the main piece of the puzzle. There's talk about, you know, developing a local digital wallet, um, you know, that type of thing that again goes back, you know, a little bit to like sort, sort of the, <laughs> The, the next wave of things like a Venmo or an Omni, which are really just attached to your you know, credit card or your bank account, but, but taking that in a, to a whole another level. And are those, those really are the main things we're talking about, or are there other things that are sort of the future of this industry? Well, I think you know, the, there are a, a number of, of use cases that I think people would, would, would find compelling. I, I do think that the one that you uh, touched on, uh, which is creating these sort of like local crypto wallets, um, is something that's gained more and more traction, I think, in, in terms of uh, the, the political culture. So how do you find a way to ensure that currency stays local and is invested in communities, particularly at a time where, um, you know, at first it was the big box stores uh, stealing, you know, small, small business revenue, and now it's, it's online and it's Amazon. Um, so a long-term potential with cryptocurrency is you can create currency that is, you know, um, limited by geographic proximity. Um, so that you ensure that currency continues to circulate through, let's say, you know, um, the borough of, of Queens or just inside uh, Astoria or just inside Bushwick um, or just inside Harlem so that, you know, small business owners there have, you know, much more certainty to the revenue stream and also, you know, are sure that they can um, be responsive to their local residents. Um, and local residents can feel good that they're spending, you know, X amount of currency every single month um, with, within that community. So I think that's a really exciting use case. I think there's some bridges that still have to be built uh, between government and small business owners. But, um, you know, this is sort of uh, the, the, the early 90s, um, I'd say, when it comes to the evolution of this, of this technology. Um, and we've still got, you know, many years and many different iterations to go. Last question. Um, you know, as I got at an earlier question, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, as a journalist who sort of subscribes to this idea that, you know, you, you hold the, you hold the most powerful to account, you look out for, you know, sort of the little person and the average person, and the, you know, that that's sort of part of the job of, of being a journalist, you know, the concern around this is the idea that, you know, lots of regular people are going to, you know, uh, quote unquote, lose their shirt here, right? On investments or buying into uh, types of financial transactions that they're staking their businesses on or whatever it might be, and, and it's not gonna work out for them. Kind of got at that uh, earlier. Um, on the other side, a, a, a different concern is something else we got at that I wanna ask you as our, our final question here, um, which is <laughs> if you watch hearings in Washington, if you watch hearings out of Albany, uh, very often on things like new technology or, or even old technology, whether it's the, you know, uh, hearings on Facebook and, and social media companies where you just have so many lawmakers who really don't understand this stuff. Um, obviously, part of your job is, is, is that space, right, is, is, is and, it, and it's, you know, largely on behalf of your clients, but also I think very likely just, you know, stuff you believe in about innovation, the growth of the city, et cetera, you know, from everything I can tell, knowing you a little bit uh, and lots of other people in the space uh, or various industries. How do you overcome those barriers? How do you, uh, 
um, how, what's, what are the best strategies other than, you know, individual uh, conversations, I guess, to get lawmakers up to speed on new technology that is, you know, potentially has these major, major ramifications? I think the key thing is to make the issue relevant um, for the for whoever your, your audience is. So if, that, if that's lawmakers, um, they want to know what is the job creation potential? What are the investor protections um, that are in place and that um, the industry will support? Um, and then, you know, what what is the industry willing to do to become a real invested civic partner um, in New York? Um, and, you know, you, you have to really demonstrate that. I think what, what's also, I think, sometimes refreshing is that um, when I speak with, with lawmakers or other policy stakeholders, um, is they see that there's no some big secret, big ask or pot of money that the industry is trying to uh, get its hands on. Um, right now, they're just trying to be heard and be understood and to the best they can demystify the space a bit. Um, you know, inviting people in to understand what companies are doing, why it's generating so much excitement, why, you know, Bitcoin is bigger than, you know, whatever Jack Dorsey says on Capitol Hill or Elon Musk tweets about, um, why it's actually attracting a really diverse investor base um, and why people who are doing it are, are, are so excited about it. So that's, that, that, that's really key into kind of explaining the fundamentals, making sure it's relevant to them and their lives and their constituents' lives, um, and then making clear that you're not asking anything more. You're just asking for a partner and, and, and an ear who will listen when, when they have issues. All right. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. We're, um, I'm hoping to you know, have some other conversations on this topic in the coming weeks and months uh, with other stakeholders, including you know, perhaps some, some lawmakers who are you know, relevant, uh, relevant to the discussion or regulators who don't have to be lawmakers, uh, obviously. But uh, Eric Super, head of the crypto and fintech practice at Tusk Strategies, thank you uh, for the time and the thoughts. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Ben.